Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. As we continue our current series, Abraham, Father of All Who Believe, let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 13, verses 1 to 7, as Dr. Newfeld shares with us a message entitled, Finding Confidence in God's Promises. I know of a family where the father decided to give his inheritance to a son and bypass his daughters, leave them with precious little while the son received everything. The daughters met to discuss the matter, and here's what they decided. They made an agreement never to speak against their parents or their brother. The daughters chose love and peace rather than to fight for their rights or for the money. Now, I leave it up to you to decide whether you think they did well or not. And after all, they chose not to challenge this turn of events. But of this, there can be no argument. What they did almost never happens. Have you ever heard of such a thing? I'll bet you've heard of plenty of cases where a family has been locked in a bitter fight over the inheritance. There's nothing remarkable about that. But this, this this choosing of peace over justice, well, it makes us sit up and take notice. Have you ever met a peacemaker? You know, be around a peacemaker really is a precious thing. It's precious because it's genuinely rare. It's precious because this world so desperately needs peacemakers. Almost everyone spends their lives talking about their rights, about injustice, real and perceived. Nations go to war over these matters, and many a relationship is broken because sometimes both parties are in the wrong, but sometimes only one party is in the wrong. And when only one party is in the wrong, the response of the person who is the victim of injustice is so very, very important. In order to be a peacemaker, one needs to surrender what is ours by right. Now, saying it that way makes it sound as if a peacemaker is a fool, for they lose, and others take advantage of them. But listen to what Jesus said about you if you're a peacemaker. You shall be called the Son of the Most High God. And that's the advantage that the peacemakers have. Now, think of the alternative. Listen to what the Bible says in James 4, 1 to 3. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you can't have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So with that as a background, let's talk about Abram. God has commanded him to leave his pagan country and go to a land that is foreign to him. And God will make him into a great nation. Genesis 12, 7 records God speaking to Abram and saying, To your offspring I will give this land. And so as Abram journeys through Canaan, traveling from the north going progressively south, he builds two altars. He's worshiping the God who keeps his promises. And then two things happen that would challenge his faith. The first is the occurrence of a famine and his detour into Egypt. But now comes the second, one that seems filled with overwhelming complications. I'm reading Genesis 13, 1-7. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been in the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. 
And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Parasites were dwelling in the land. See, one needs to imagine the scenario. Abram has just come back to Canaan after his misguided journey into Egypt. He had abused Sarai there. Out of his fear, he sold her into Pharaoh's harem and almost abandoned his journey of faith. Interestingly enough, through selling his wife, he became extremely wealthy. But God had rescued him because God had a covenant with him and God was determined to keep him. And Abram returned to Canaan humbled, committed to learning to walk in faith. As Moses, the author of Genesis, describes it, Abram is now rich. He's not traveling alone. As the next chapter will describe it, Abram has 318 men trained for war in his party. No doubt they had families. Furthermore, chapter 15, verse 2 mentions a man, Eliezer of Damascus, being a leading figure in Abram's entourage. Since Damascus is in Syria, one can only imagine that Abram's entourage is made up of key men from the surrounding region, ready to protect the vast wealth that Abram travels with. Added to this is that part of the story that deals with Lot, the son of Abram's dead brother Haran. Lot has also become wealthy, and Abram's fighting force is also ordered to protect the wealth of Lot. But because wealth is measured to some degree in terms of cattle, and because Abram's entourage is traveling in a land in which powerful regional kings and warlords will govern areas, Abram's search for open grazing land would not go unnoticed, but would excite uneasy tensions in that area. Clearly, something needs to be done. Abram and Lot now journey back to Bethel, the place where there is indeed open land for their cattle, and they begin to look for open ground because now they have more cattle than they had before. Their wealth is increasing, but with that come problems. And tension begins to develop as Abram and Lot are looking for the the same pasture to graze their cattle. But it's a tension that deals primarily with money and resources and rights. See, in the culture in which they lived, the older always had rights over the younger. So Abram really should have been ordering Lot around. Remember, he's the uncle who had taken his nephew into his house after his nephew's dad had died. Lot owed Abram something, and this might have been a good time to pay up. And on top of that, God had promised Abram the land, and no such promise had been extended to Lot. Lot's only natural right was whatever Abram gave him. And Lot would be quite cognizant that that God had promised the land to Abram and his descendants. If Lot was included in this promise, that would be entirely up to Abram. Furthermore, the 318 armed men are committed to Abram and not to Lot. Lot has no power in this dispute. So imagine the scenario. Abram has a divine promise and he has force on his side along with the custom of the day. If Lot quarrels with Abram over the right of open grazing land, Lot would surely lose that fight. And yet in spite of this, there was strife. Lot's herdsmen and Abram's herdsmen are in open conflict with each other, and a solution has to be found. I mean, what would you do if you had been Abram? Now, don't answer too quickly, because what complicates the matter is Abram's obvious love for his nephew. But as you and I know, families are easily broken apart, quarreling over money and rights. 
And sometimes when there is no easy solution, family members who have the power simply take it. See, Abram's response is surprising. He calls a family caucus. He, he tells Lot that they need to separate, and they have become too wealthy to occupy the same space of ground. And then comes what is surprising. Lot, he says, I'm going to give you the first choice. I'll take what's left over. Now, what do you suppose motivates that? I'm going to suggest something that seems obvious when we think about it. After Egypt, Abram had witnessed just how willing God was to make sure that he would keep his covenant with Abram. Look back at the promises God made to Abram. God has promised Abram a nation, the land of Canaan, a blessing that will change the face of the earth. Abram would become a great nation. The land was his by divine right. God was placing all his resources at Abram's disposal. You know, if Lot wanted what God had promised Abram, Abram must have reasoned that this was God's concern and not his. And that is the reason why we find Abram's surprising response recorded in verses 8 and 9. There we read, Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. And if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. In essence, what Abram does is let Lot decide where he will settle and to take whatever land seems best to him. And in response, Abram will take whatever is left over. In essence, we notice that Abram has become a peacemaker. What we need to see in this account is the reason why Abram acts so generously towards Lot. We need to see in Abram's generosity, not his sacrificial spirit, rather his absolute certainty that no matter how the dispute is to be resolved, nothing but nothing can contravene God's fulfilling his promise to Abram. And once we see that, we're going to make application. For what if we, like Abram, take note of all that God has promised to us and thought no matter what happens, God's promises simply cannot fail. At Back to the Bible Canada, we're so humbled to see how God is using this ministry to speak the truths of His Word into lives across the nation and beyond. It's our mandate to faithfully present the scriptures exactly as they are to everyone without barrier. And it is so encouraging to see how many listeners stand with us in this commitment. Your gifts are the momentum that helps sustain this Bible teaching and engagement ministry and propels these messages to eyes and ears and hearts from all walks of life. We hear from listeners every week of the impact that Back to the Bible Canada is having on their spiritual journey. Sam wrote, I have learned so much over the past few years from the teachings of this ministry, which in turn has helped me lead my family spiritually. Thanks, Sam. Now, to support this Bible teaching ministry, or to learn about the free Bible resource this month being offered, Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Imagine, if you will, two men both coming upon a $100 bill lying on the ground. One of them lives on welfare, and the other's a man whose investments are valued in the billions. 
If the billionaire says to the other, look, you decide what to do with the money, in that case, do you think the billionaire is being sacrificial? See, in the same way, when Abram, to whom God had promised a nation, the land of Canaan, a large number of descendants, and a name so great that he would be the conduit of blessing to the world, when this Abram told his nephew to pick the best land, do you think he was being generous? If Abram thought that he was losing something significant by allowing Lot to pick the best part of the land, that would be an indication that he did not believe in the promise of God. But Abram is not an unbeliever. He is the father of those who have faith in the promises of God. Allow me to make a point of application. Listen to one of the promises that the Bible makes to all of those of us who have surrendered our lives into the hands of Christ. I'm reading Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, of course, we need to get a handle on what is meant by every spiritual blessing, but once we begin to define that term, then we will be emboldened to go through the Bible and identify those very blessings and realize that God has promised every believer in Christ every one of those. The point, of course, is that we need not fear that anything can rob us of that which God has promised to us. No reversal of fortune, no violation of our rights, no abuse at the hands of another, no greed from those who would rob us from that which is ours can take the promises of God from us. It is for this reason that God's people can be generous for our spiritual wealth, those things that are ours through the promises of Christ in the Bible simply can't be taken from us. In essence, I'm arguing that faith, and here I'm speaking specifically about the ability to see the wealth of God's spiritual promises. These things allow us, like Abram, to live in peace and to make peace with others. See, once you're settled on that, you'll never fight over your rights because you don't have to. I mean, consider Romans 12, verse 19, which says, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. Let me put this promise in everyday language. Don't defend yourself. You're a child of God. Let God defend you. And if you are able to see the unseen, and here I mean the ability to see that God is always looking out for you, defending you, blessing you, ensuring that all things will work together for your good in the end and that you will not have to defend yourself. You can count on God. Let him be your defender. Furthermore, you can even bless those who persecute you and do not curse them. Imagine you're being overlooked for a promotion at work or, or a raise, and then an inferior employee who, who, let's say, happens to be related to your supervisor gets what should have been yours because you've earned it and he is not. Now, if this happens to you, you can respond in several different ways. You can respond in unbelief. You'll then be angry and outraged at the injustice of it all. You may even plot revenge, or you might make everyone's life miserable, including your own, by constantly making them aware of it. Now, bitterness settles in, and soon your soul is getting old, and then it's barren. And no one likes you, and you don't like that. You ask yourself why all of this is happening, and you might say, it's because of my supervisor, and he is in fact an evil man, and that injustice marks you, and it defines you, and it becomes your M.O. But if you can see the unseen, the hand of God at work, and, and live in peace, well, 
that employee, you know, the undeserving product of nepotism, that one that got a raise ahead of you, well, you can bless him. You'll find out that you're now not plotting against him, but you're plotting a blessing, and soon your soul feels young and vibrant and full. And why? Because you can see the unseen promises of God. Why should you squabble over something so small when you already have the wealth of heaven? See, seeing the unseen promises of God leaves us living at peace as far as it's possible. But seeing the unseen promises of God also allows us to approach life without position and in humility. In other words, just like Abram, you're not asking who is below you on the social scale and who is above you. It's never about education or income or the size of your house or the importance of your job or whether the world approves of you or or whether you're getting your fair share. If you really place your entire value in the promises of God, people will no longer seem below your dignity. And just like Abram, it will become possible to make room for people like Lot, who have no right to take up a position above your own, but you bless them. And wow, does that ever bring peace? And so what are the advantages of seeing the unseen promises of God? Well, it's peace and humility. And then thirdly, this forms the basis of a life of generosity. Abram can give generously to Lot. You know, I recently read a a wonderful quote from Fred Mitchell, who was the home director of China Inland Mission from 1943 to 1953. Fred Mitchell had spent some time with a believer who made it his business to give well above 10% of the income of his work to the Lord. And here's what this believer said. He said, the more he gave, the more he received. And he had found out that he could be as generous as he wanted because it was impossible to impoverish himself through giving. And Abram knew that. Lot could take the best land, but it would not affect the promises that God had made to him. And for us, God has not promised that we would be rich in this life, but he has promised to meet our needs. But eternally, the rich promises of spiritual blessing in Christ make us rich beyond our wildest imaginations. My prayer for myself is this, oh Lord, help me get beyond my unbelief and help me see how vast, how high, and how deep are the sum total of what I have received from your hand. So let's continue to read our text. I'm reading Genesis 13, verses 10 to 13. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked sinners before the Lord. Now Lot was probably standing on an elevation close to Bethel from one of the hills there, and you would get this magnificent view below of the Jordan Valley. And he notices several things. The hill country was dependent upon the Lord to send rain. And since just a little while before this incident, there had been a drought resulting in a famine, Lot is convinced that he wants to avoid that in the future. Leave that for his uncle to deal with, but he will not. And furthermore, the land around the lower Jordan Valley seems impervious to drought because of the Jordan River that flows there. But of course, there's but one problem. If he moves his people to that area, he will also move them to a people and a culture that are sinful beyond degree. 
Lot's choice will be a choice of what he wants above all other things. Does he want riches or does he want righteousness? And here for the first time, we see what's in Lot's heart. What we see here, we will see time and time again. Unlike his uncle, Lot is not a man of great faith. Unlike his uncle, Lot has no ability to see the unseen promises of God, nor is he any mind to trust in them. Lot can only see the immediate riches and security versus insecurity and trust in the one true God. And so it's not just literally true that Abram and Lot separate. It's also spiritually true. For the choices of a man or a woman of this world are never the choices of a man or a woman of faith. The person who cannot see the wealth of the promises of God will always choose the immediate, the things that they can see with their physical eyes, and the uncertain wealth that this world has to offer. And it's so important for us to understand that Lot's choice is also our choice. For what he chose determined his future and the future of his family. We find that described for us in the rest of the book of of Genesis. See, oh God, show us the value of that which is eternal and show us the poverty of the things that are passing away. Give us eyes to see the unseen and fill our hearts with faith that your promises are the only certain thing that are ours. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. John, I think this has been really insightful for me, and I think for many of us, maybe a bit of an aha moment that we can't outgive God. In fact, we can be generous with the knowledge that, you know what, God has given so much and continues to give so much beyond all of our expectations. His promises are huge. Yeah, and it, it is so true. And, and I'm saying these words, uh, Ben, while we're talking, and I, you know, I just said them on the air, and yet... You know, I'm looking into my own heart and saying, Lord, how often has it been that I myself have not grasped that, even while I've taught others that this is true? And yet all my experience tells me it is exactly so. We just can't outgive God. His promises never run out. He's promised us more than we could ever spend in a lifetime. And Lord, you know, just maybe if you just open up our eyes so that we might see the wealth of what you've given us. I mean, you know, so from my vantage point, um, Uh, This is what we must continue to ask for from God, that he would give us a heart of faith to see that these things are true. Uh, This is good news. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. God never promised that this life would be easy. But he did promise that he would be there with us, guiding our footsteps along the way, in our working, deciding, moving, marrying and burying, through grief or joy in family and community, God is present. He is active in all the seasons of life. But the truths of God's faithfulness can become muted by the noise of our present circumstances. That's why this month, Back to the Bible Canada is offering a free booklet called Restored, a story of lives redeemed. It walks us through the book of Ruth and the seed of hope that one family's redemption story offers to us all. If you're in need of encouragement in your own story, this booklet is for you. To request your free copy today, just call us at 1-800-663-2425 
or visit backtothebible.ca.